You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. I'm your host, Shannon. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I also happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, I invite you to reflect with me as I work to demystify the tarot and the human experience, all while exploring tarot's connection to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. So grab your cards and join me as I work to create a pathway to better understand ourselves and those around us. Today, I get to have a vulnerable and meaningful discussion with a fellow therapist, Cami Osman, and we find ourselves stepping deeply into the world of tarot and internal family systems. Cami has since transitioned from practicing psychotherapy to a different form of healing, writing and teaching. Cami is the director of the Narrative Project, where she and her coaches support writers through her signature seven stages from would-be writers to published authors. Hi, Cammie. Hi, Shannon. So I'm I'm so excited to talk to you today. I, you know, we had a conversation not too long ago, and I was just so interested in your life journey because you've been or you were a practicing therapist, you use yeah. tarot, you and you enjoy internal family systems work. Yeah. And on top of all that, you you just seem like an adventurous person and you're this literal storyteller. So you're all the things that I find very exciting. (laughs) I know. And it was so fun to talk to you because I've been listening to your your podcast. And when you got into talking about internal family systems, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, so it's pretty exciting to be here. Yeah. And I love that you also have that experience of, you know, working with clients. And then you also have this tarot experience, which Mm -hmm. is exciting because a part of your journey that was super intriguing to me included this transition of having, you know, this, what sounded like more of a strict religious background where maybe tarot would have been prohibited, but you've, you've since come to embrace tarot, which I think is really great. And I'm always fascinated by experiences of people, you know, coming into this world from, you know, more of a religious perspective. And I would love to open the conversation by hearing about that journey and how tarot even came to be a part of your life. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, thank you. I, this is such an interesting thing for me to talk about because, um, you know, I like to say in some ways I have more faith now than ever before, even Mm. though I'm not religious anymore, you know? And, uh, so the way, the way that I even came into religion was because I I came from like all good therapists do a pretty messy family, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the, the church really scooped me up and took me in and they were really good people. I am not one of those people who eventually left my faith because, you know, the people in the church were jerks or hypocrites, not at all. No, I have nothing but good things to say about the human beings who scooped me in. And, um, so that faith was not a family faith. It was, it was my own journey. Mm. And, 
I, because the people in that community were so loving and good to me, I was really, really open to the doctrines that I was being taught. And when I, when I finally just, you know, needed to move away from the really specific religious doctrines, I, I, there was definitely kind of a hole for me in terms of my inner life. So basically, if I, if I were to back up a little bit inside the faith, because it was a pretty fundamentalist faith, mm-hmm. tarot was, was forbidden. I mean, right. it was like there was any kind of divination um, or anything that was considered like tapping into some otherworldly power. And tarot was thought to do that, which is not really what I think about tarot now, right. um, but uh, was considered to be um, evil or frightening or, you know, scary, um, potentially dangerous in some way. And so we were taught, you know, not to touch them. That was the, that was the thing that I was taught. Um, and then when I, when I realized that I needed to move away from the doctrines, um, I had this practice for years. I mean, like 20 years where I would get up in the morning and I would read the scriptures, you know, the sacred text, and then I would meditate and pray. Well, I didn't stop doing that just because mm-hmm. I because I needed to unpack and and leave behind the doctrines some of the doctrines. And instead though I needed to fill it with some other way of what I now know what I believe I was doing was really tapping into my deep intuition. Yeah. So I had this practice of really being in the deep every morning. And so I really needed some way to continue to do that. And I wandered into the East West bookstore here in Seattle where I live and I found this deck called the Tarot of Transformation. I don't know mm. if you know that deck. It's um, not a classic Rider Waite sort of it's, right. it's these beautiful feminine um, images. And then the book is full of meditations, the book that comes along with it. So that's how I got started in it was really, was really how to, um, a need to engage that morning practice in a new way. So that was the beginning. What a, what a fascinating story, but I'm, yeah. I'm mostly curious about what prompted you to walk into the store. It seemed like you had some sort of longing or desire to mm-hmm. have that ritual, that practice that allowed you to feel that sense of groundedness, centeredness. Did you have any experience beforehand or knowledge of tarot that was like, oh, I know that this thing might mm-hmm. provide me the same sense of, of comfort and in, intuitive experience that I got before? Or was it something where you were like, I don't know, I don't have an answer. I just ended up there. Yeah, no, I mean, I really, um, I, I really was, I didn't have any experience with tarot. I, I knew that I wasn't supposed to touch it early on. And then when, when I decided that I could, I was just curious, you know, and I spent a lot of time during that period of my life in the East West bookstore, sort of like trying to, there was this absence for me when, um, when I left my, um, my church beliefs, right? I can't say I left the church people because most of them have graciously stayed in connection with me, but, um, yeah. And so, but, but I, did need to, um, recraft a life philosophy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I just didn't have one. And so, and this is actually, um, right around the same time that I went to graduate school. So I was working on, uh, 
you know, a new kind of way of thinking as I was becoming a therapist. So mm-hmm. I was just really, really open to, you know, what's out there. And I, I absolutely stumbled upon the tarot deck. And it's well-worn. I mean, if you saw it, it's like the box is duct taped together. It's like, yeah. I love that. So you actually discovered and began your tarot practice before you became a therapist. Kind of simultaneously, like mm-hmm. we we were maybe just starting the, the internship, you know? And so... Um, I wasn't a full-fledged therapist yet. I was, you know, heavily supervised and, right. and you know, really just learning the theories. Uh, my, my background is as a family systems therapist. And mm. so we, you know, we learned all of the fam in my program, we learned all of the family systems um, theories, and then we had to choose one to focus on. And I focus on narrative therapy because um, story is so important yeah. to me, but I tracked with internal family systems um, carefully, like collected all the books that all of the people who, who were majoring in that read so that I could read them later. Um, cause it was, I was simultaneously fascinated by both theories. You know, it makes so much sense hearing your journey that you would gravitate towards tarot because yeah. here you are in this field that is heavily focused on systems, family yeah. systems. And then you choose a focus where you're, focusing on narrative therapy, storytelling. And if we look at tarot, it is a system of storytelling. Exactly. (laughs) So that's fascinating to see a pattern in stuff that you were drawn to, stuff that Mm -hmm. has, you know, significant meaning to you just like inherently as a human. Right. Yeah. And I guess I would also back up and say that one of the, um, you know, when I used the Bible as my anchor for my meditation, it was always the story that I would meditate on. I would, I would read a story and then I would ask you know, the, the numinous, you know, is maybe what I would call it now, you know, what is here for me? What do I need to know mm. for today? So I was already really kind of practicing that way, right. which is how I, how I tend to use the tarot now in the mornings. I was just going to say, I mean, that sounds like someone's tarot practice, right? Yeah, like, totally. what do I need to focus on today? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing, you know, oh, that part yeah. of your journey. Cause I think it's, you know, I think a lot of folks could probably relate to it. And, yeah. you know, I think, a lot of folks who come from a religious background and find themselves, you know, within the the realm of tarot, tarot do find that sense of ritualistic comfort. Yep. And, you know, I've been spending so much time lately reflecting on just ritual in general mm-hmm. and do, just doing a lot of research on the psychology of ritual and, you know, why we tend to find things in our life that create that for us. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, keep coming back to it provides a sense of comfort and predictability amidst, you know, chaos or feeling mm-hmm. lost or just un- unstable. And, yeah. you know, I think that also aligns with your journey where you, um, you know, left this, you know, pretty regimented community mm-hmm. and then we're probably like, oh, but there are so many aspects of that that I miss. So yeah. then finding something that fit that that kind of that hole for you 
yeah. was really important. And again, it's a ritual. So I just keep going back to like, at least in my personal life, mm-hmm. how important ritual is and whether it's secular or religious or spiritual or just a, a walk around your block. Right. I mean, what you're saying is like, there's an anchor or, or mm. a container. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure what metaphor, you know, yeah. you go with, right. But there's, but there's definitely something there that holds you, that holds the flow of the river mm. in ritual. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. So speaking of ritual and tarot, do you want to pull a card with me? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Okay. So are you using your, was it the transformation tarot? What was it called? The the tarot of transformation. I'm not actually, I'm using um, this, this fun deck. I'm sure you know it, the modern witch tarot deck. Do you know that one? (laughs) I love that deck. (laughs) I do too. It's so quirky and fun. So Um, I'm using tarot vintage as usual because it's just my, I don't know, it's become an extension of me. So um, I don't typically pull to a question all the time. I figure, you know, especially for the episode, I just like to see what comes out and and where it guides us. So if you're comfortable with that, let's just pull. I'm good. Yeah, I got a fun one. (laughs) Oh, what'd you get? I got the eight of wands. Eight of Wands. Oh, okay. Eight of, I love the Eight of Wands. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I love it too. Out. What did you get? All right. Oh, Ten of Pentacles. Oh, interesting. So I, I don't pull Ten of day. Pentacles that often. I feel like I, I pull Eight of Wands pretty often now. Yeah. But yeah. What are you thinking about Eight of Wands? Well, I, I, I mean, what's, what's fun about this one, this version of it is it's got the wands, you know, going in, in all in the same direction. And then it's got this motorcycle rider underneath mm-hmm. it. Like she's like, she's riding away like a bat out of hell, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, um, so I, what I, what I love about it is sort of like this directionality, yeah. like we're going somewhere, mm. you know? And, and the wands, I always think of the wands as magic for, you know, because they're wands. Right. Um, so, so somehow we're magically going somewhere is kind of what comes to my mind. I love that. And it's one of my favorite depictions of the Eight of Wands because, yeah. you know, you really feel this sense of like determination yes. and both like just knowing, like I know where I'm headed or maybe knowing that I don't absolutely have a destination in mind, but I just know that I'm going somewhere. Right. And there's a sense of comfort and excitement yeah adventure yeah I love that the ten of pentacles yeah the ten of pentacles and the eight of wands actually like these together I think so with the ten of pentacles I tend they're very actually very different but Uh I tend to view this card as more of like the ancestry card you know there's a lot of you know heavy family symbolism in there which you know you as a family systems therapist probably really relate to but Mm -hmm. you know and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this too, but, you know, I look at the 10 of pentacles and I think that it's also like pretty heavy on self-inquiry because, uh-huh. you know, we're forced to really look, look at this and, and ask ourselves maybe like what, what stories from, you know, my lineage or my, my family history, am I embracing? What stories am I leaving behind? What parts of myself stem from the learned behavior from these interactions and these people I was raised around, you know, what relationships have healed me or harmed me. And it can be an overwhelming card, much like the eight of wands, actually. A lot of people are... It It, it is. It's got a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot of... um, 
Yeah, there's just a lot happening, I think, in both cards, but in a different way. Like Eight of Wands is very, you know, fast-paced movement. And the Ten of Pentacles, there's a lot of... What word do I want to use? Almost like when you're at a family gathering and there's not a lot of urgency, but there's just a lot of stimulus. And yeah. Yeah, it's almost so like on, a, on the one that I, um, the, the version that I have in my hand, um, uh, it's, it's got this man and this woman, you know, talking to each other and, and she's holding the, a baby and, uh. um, and then the pentacles are all around. And what came up for me is like in this kind of, like the pentacles are the parts of the self yes. that are there present with inside this conversation. Like, you know, there's more, in other words, there's more here in the room than just you and me, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially if we look at this as like that self-reflection, self-inquiry, mm. like invitation, Yeah, you know, we could absolutely apply it to internal family systems that both of these cards really yeah. t- tend to lend themselves nicely to that because, you know, the eight of wands asking, okay, <laughs> where are you going to go with all these parts? And right. there is a, I think a strong bond between, you know, tarot and psychotherapy and yes. just internal family systems in general. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I could just riff on what you just said, like all day long. That's like, if you, if you look at the eight of wands and you see the, the, the character moving in the direction, if you think of the wands as parts of the self, it's like, are you, are you self-led, you know, like, um, Jay Early's book in self-therapy, you know, I think it's called self-therapy, right. Where he taught, where he talks about like that self-leadership, you know, are you, are you led by the core or, you know, are the parts leading? I think Absolutely. that asks that oh my question. Gosh. Yeah. So if we, again, if we set the eight of wands next to the that 10 of pentacles, that yeah. goes back to what I was saying earlier, like what stories are we taking with us? What parts of us are because of these relationships that we've had? What's learned behavior? What's not? Right. You know, and I think actually, and I really wanted to talk to you about this, someone who's, you know, so systems-based and uh, internal family systems-based this integration of tarot and IFS, because I feel like right. I have my own personal experience with it and my, you know, psychological experience with it. But how do you see these two blend together or integrate? How have yeah. they shown up in your own, maybe personal therapeutic practice or your practice with clients? Right. So what's really interesting is that it didn't dawn on me for a, a long time that that the cards could could represent the parts. And the way that I sort of figured that out for myself was that now, as you said, I'm no longer doing therapy. Um, I now run a a writing program helping Mm -hmm. writers get their books done, but I do this whole piece on the inner critic and it's all based on the IFS, right? Right. And so I teach everybody, you know, about the manager parts and the exiled parts and the core self and, you know, and how those manager parts are not going to want you to engage in your creativity sometimes because the, their whole job is to protect you from right. um, the perceived danger, you know. And and so it, I was doing my morning tarot one day and I was, and I don't remember which card I pulled. It was probably one of the um, court cards, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because those, those images are so sort of like powerful. Absolutely. And, um, and I was like, Oh, like that's my inner bitch, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I realized, 
oh my gosh. I mean, I can, I can absolutely, when I'm, when I'm doing parts work, cause I do that in the morning as part of my journaling often, if, it, if there's anything up, you know, when I'm doing parts work, I can bring Matero in, you know, and as a way of asking like, well, what part is engaged? Am I engaging in here with, with this anxiety, you know, or, or what element of the core self, like you, you talked about the C's, you know, the, the, calmness the curiosity I can't remember what the yeah um, what the there is there's eight of them right yeah I always I always do I get to like six and then I'm like shoot what are the last two <laughs> I know it's not that funny I do that with John Gottman's four horsemen too yes. I'm like what the heck is the fourth one <laughs> yeah there's always that one or two that you forget yeah <laughs> But yeah, so that's sort of how I discovered it. And I, and, um, and so now when I'm doing my parts work in my journal, I will, I used to sort of keep those two rituals separate, but now I bring them together and I'm like, okay, well, which part am I, you know, am I working with here? Which part am I bringing inquiry to? And, um, and sometimes I'll use the cards also just to help me generate the question. What yeah. is it that this part wants to be asked, you know? So, the, uh, and I'll just draw. Yeah. I love that. What, what, you know, what does this part want to be asked? And it's, it's so funny hearing your experience with the court cards because that was very much mine with my, you know, with my manager yeah. part and using tarot <laughs> to help identify like right. the queen of swords is my ultimate manager. Oh, right. <laughs> she, is that so funny? Right. She exists like all the time. She is there. I'm well aware of her and, you know, using tarot and really understanding like for example the queen of swords archetype really helped me understand how my manager part shows up and how I can identify Ooh, when am I being too rigid when can I let her set her sword down right Um, and having that imagery has been you know really powerful in helping me cope and just regulate my own emotions and my own experiences where you know I think without that imagery you can still get there it's just a little bit more difficult and what's what's funny too is IFS has their own kind of tarot adjacent cards they're called the interactive cards oh I didn't know that oh that's yeah. funny <laughs> I think it I think it's like a set of like maybe 40 or 50 cards I forget okay. how many are in there but they very much have you know different archetypes like there's one in there that just screams queen of pentacles um, oh wow yeah but they just look like a tarot deck yeah okay I did I didn't know that um it's funny because before I even knew the tarot um I had this part you know this image that I was working with just in my own personal IFS work I mean so as I said first I had the tarot of transformation and it was a long long time Mm -hmm. before I got like a classic tarot deck and really and really saw the images that most people think of as tarot and um so I had though this this part more of an exiled part that I called the sword bearer mm. and she was very like very specific sort of image that I was working with in my journaling and when I got so then finally one day I went and got like one of the classic um tarot decks and um and I saw all the swords and I was like whoa and the, the nine of swords was you know, it's like this burden of the sword, you know, really hit me hard. And for a long time, I did meditation on that nine of swords. Like, what are the burdens I'm carrying here? Do What do each of these swords represent that I've got my head in my hands, you know, with? So I love that. I think a lot of, a lot of tarot readers can certainly relate to having that experience where you pull a card and it almost 
you 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 have this visceral reaction mm, and that card yeah. just sits with you for a while yeah. and you know maybe it follows you around you know pulling it a lot or you choose to to set it out and maybe it's in yeah. front of your computer all the time and you're continuing to do work which i think is another like just such powerful component of how therapeutic tarot can be yeah. and the stories that it creates and then helps us discover in ourselves that we're already there to begin with right which I think is probably why you tend to use them also you know in your now business as someone who helps people tell their stories right because they're just I mean overflowing with possibility you mm-hmm. know you and I could look at you know, the Queen of Swords, for example, and probably, you know, understand what that card means, its traditional uh, interpretation, but then have two very different experiences or stories to tell about the card. Yeah, that's right. Because it would, it would evoke a different part for each of us, you know, um, or a different energy, you know, if, if not a, if not a full blown, uh, fully developed part. And, you know, I mean, as a writer and, and, and a person who works with imagination, I mean, I really see the parts as like, I have written stories about my parts, Yeah, you know, like they, they have like full, I have a full relationship with some of them that kind of goes on for years. It has a story arc, you know? Mm. You know, that reminds me of one of the, when we were talking, I don't know, like a week or so ago, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about how we get to this point in our life where we are like, okay, we have spent all this time trying to figure out what we want to do in the world Mm -hmm. and how we want to exist in the world and how we now want to exist within ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I just cut the deck and pulled 10 of cups and it's interesting another 10 so I'm like oh this is fascinating but you know it makes me think about again the different versions of ourselves because you're talking about how you know you have created you know narratives and stories fully based on like these different parts that you have and so I I have a like non-traditional approach to this 10 of cups card and I feel like you'll appreciate it just based on your experience. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. (laughs) When you look at, when you look at this card, you have the two folks in the the foreground who I feel like could be, you know, they're waving goodbye to these like smaller humans, Mm -hmm. you know, these children. And it's almost like waving goodbye to maybe a younger version of the self, whether that's actual like numerical younger version or just a version of yourself that you're like, okay, like this part isn't at the forefront of my life anymore. And then I always view the cups positioned in the rainbow as almost like begging to be read as these different versions of ourself, or if you Uh, want to go the numerical route, like the decades of life. But I feel like it's also being able to look at, you know, all the parts that we've embodied throughout this life journey and really Uh being able to reflect on them and say, you know, which ones, you know, am I grateful for? Which ones have I done so much work with? Which ones do I not need anymore? Which ones still exist? Oh, I love that. Inter- I just pulled the card out so I could look at it. I love that interpretation. It it sort of hits on what we talked about last week. You know, uh, when I look at it, I'm almost like there in every cup is a dream, you know, oh, or yes, an yeah. aspect of the self, a thing that you've wanted to do or accomplish or, um, or live out. And, and there they all are, you know, that is just really, I Absolutely. love that. It's you know, and it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about, Kind of like once you've hit that midlife point, which, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I I really, I think it's a lot earlier than most of us realize. I feel like 
we tend to say it's 50, but really it's, it's technically, you know, 40 to 60 is, well, you know, well, right. I think what yeah. we say. But, you know, I think this time of life is where we start to make that transition from, yeah. you know, maybe craving that external validation to finding comfort and solace in our own company and finding yeah. comfort in our true self, you know, and that true self is another huge component of IFS. But, yeah. you know, there's, you know, looking at this 10 of cups, there's also this moment of pause where we mm-hmm. look at, you know, what we've already done in the world and what yes. our place in the world has been. And I feel like that comes with both a celebratory nature because the 10 of cups is, you know, pretty yeah, celebratory, celebratory and 10s, you know, representing culmination. But, you know, there's also a sense of almost grief and going back to your eight of wands too. this, well, now what the hell do I right. do? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's like, I was looking at the 10 of cups and I'm like, okay, so there they are celebrating. And then, and then I was thinking, and then what? You know, <laughs> I mean, what happens after this? It it's it's funny because you do. I think get to a point where um, not everyone, of course, gets to a point where they have fulfilled what they set out to fulfill. Right. But you do move through your you do move through your life and accomplish certain things, or you let certain dreams go, or you know, you raise your kids and and they're out of the house. Basically, you move into another part of the life cycle, and you're asking yourself what's what's next you know and or maybe you've done the work this i think therapeutically also you, you know can think of it as like okay you know i've spent the better part of my my 20s and 30s doing the work yeah. and once the parts are a little bit settled down and you're in your in your core self now what you know mm. and i mean this really hit me hard really in the last year because i have my business up and running and which I had always been very curious, you know, can I really make a thriving business? Can I make a go of it? And here it is and it's thriving and it's beautiful. And I have a team of people. And, and then I had this piece of property where my, that my grandparents used to own and I purchased it from my aunt. And I, I was like, you know what? I've, I've wanted to be on this piece of property for a couple decades. I'd asked mm-hmm. my grandparents if they'd sell it to me and they were like, we're not ready. And then they passed away and my aunt had it. And so I still, I still pined after it. So I approached her and she's like, she's like, yes, I will sell it to you. And I wanted to put a yurt on it. (laughs) So I galvanized my, my brothers are all builders. So I galvanized all the, all the dudes in my life, you know, and, um, and some of my, my girlfriends too, and dragged them out there and we built this yurt and it's just gorgeous, you know, and it, it looks out at the mountains. So there it is. And it was sort of the final, like, big, big thing. And I went out one week with my computer thinking, I'm going to go out there and write, you know, and like do the thing I've always imagined doing here. And Shannon, I am not kidding you. That mountain would not let me work. And fortunately I had thought to bring, because I'd been meaning to do this, a whole bunch of my journals from Mm. my early life. I just sat out there at that yurt and read my old journals and cried my eyes out. I have chills. And just asked like, well, now what? And so the whole summer 
I, I couldn't work. I, I was drawn out there. Like I would get up in the morning thinking I was going to do some work in Seattle mm-hmm. and be like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take it out to the yurt. And nope, not working. <laughs> that yurt was like, nope, you're going to sit here and give yourself a good think until you come up with a new version of what's next. You know, oh it's just really weird. What about like, oh my gosh, the ultimate 10 of cups moment for you. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm picturing you like being so eager to get out to this property that, you know, and I love to use the word pining that you were pining after yeah. for like decades. You yeah. finally get there and you have this vision of what it's going to be. And the the world, and like you said, the mountain had a, a, another, plan. another story <laughs> plan for you. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to sit here and just wave. You yep. are going to reflect on these younger versions yep. of yourself. And that's what you're going to do. Sit. Wow. Yeah. How powerful. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, and I think, and then, you know, you and I um, talked about this and you, you talked about it in an, another episode um, that, that there comes a point where you have to reevaluate, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we just do. We, there's some sort of natural places where, you know, you might be called to do that, like right after high school, right after college, you know, maybe sometime in the early part of the family life when the kids go off, you know, I don't have children. So I, so some mm-hmm. of those kind of natural fa- family points, right. you know, but I guess, I guess the self just makes it happen when it needs to happen. Yeah, I really like the way you're talking about that. And yes, I I mean, I'm child-free. Like, I I won't be able Mm -hmm. to have children in the future. So Mm -hmm. I definitely often reflect on, you know, my life won't fit in this traditional Ten of Cups trajectory, right? So that's why when I look at this card, like, you know, I don't see my myself in a traditional sense in that card because that's Mm -hmm. not the life or the experience I will have. So I try to make it my own. But, you know, it's interesting hearing your experience and just, you know, reflecting on on my own, I'm thinking too. It's almost like you you went to that that year. You had that moment, right, where you're like, okay, like you know, this process is continuing. I had wanted this for so long. I made it happen, and I feel like that was a reflection on you know, if we're talking about like the first part of our life where we're kind of like really eagerly consuming knowledge and we're, you know, establishing a career or, Mm -hmm. you know, like you you had talked about checking these things off your bucket list and, you know, we're forming romantic and platonic relationships and really trying to figure out what it means for us to be like, quote unquote, successful. Right, who we're going to be. Yeah, Right, accomplished. And I think a lot of this journey ends up causing our identities to almost, I almost want to use the word like pathological, like almost like Mm -hmm. pathologically entwined with these quote unquote markers of success or markers of accomplishment. And it almost seems like you brought that energy to the yurt with you. And that almost (laughs) like divine experience of the mountain was like, yeah, no, that that's done. Like Uh that version of success and to do is done. Yeah. Yes. I love what you're saying. It's like we spend the early part of our lives trying to figure out who we're going to be. And then we be that thing. Uh And then what, you know, it's such a, it's such a strange, I mean, the the soul calling forward um, something and we don't know what it is because it doesn't fit into any of the um, socially constructed 
storylines, you know, to kind of use a, um, a narrative therapy idea. Um, yeah. those, those storylines are all by, by necessity, they're all socially constructed because they have to be, because we're, we're little children when we're being socialized, you know, but then there is a point where that it, it, it may not be satisfying mm. and we need to ask what else is there. So it reminds me of one of the, so I pulled a couple cards to to guide the episode. Mm-hmm. Two, I, I pulled three, two I haven't talked about. Okay. Or actually, no, I haven't talked about this third one either, but they were page of swords, six of swords and the magician. But the, what uh-huh. you're talking about right now really makes me think of this six of swords, this, because there's almost this inherent grief that exists within this card but you're also bringing stuff with you. Like you haven't fully let go of, right. you know, either who you were or what you wanted, but you are going somewhere else. Right. And there's there's a sense of like fear that can exist there too. Like I don't quite know where I'm going or where yeah. I'm supposed to be. And I feel like there's so much, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like an itinerary for what we're supposed mm, to be doing in life until right. we get to this certain point. You know, we're talking about like that kind of midlife journey. Yeah. And then, you know, traditionally, you know, folks who tend to have children and then have grandchildren, the it- itinerary continues because it goes back to that yeah. 10 of pentacles, right? Like, oh, you sit and watch your lineage grow right. and the role that you play. But if you don't fit into that traditional narrative, this six of swords can almost be mm. like, well, shit, <laughs> yeah. not only now what, but now where? Right. I Yeah, I love what you're saying there because I think... Even people who do follow a traje- the traditional trajectory, and you know this as a therapist, I am sure you have had people in your office confess that mm. they're on the trajectory and they wish they weren't. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Um, and that's a crisis. That's a different kind of crisis, you know, um, because you're on it. But but yes, where are we going? <laughs> and and I'm not going to lie. Like sitting out at the yurt, I was I was in crisis. I mean, yeah. and I I was just out there with my tarot deck, like pulling, and you know, so I, I would I would pull like the six of swords. Then it would be like, okay, so you're leaving someplace and you're going someplace. Very helpful. What's next? <laughs> you know. <laughs> But where, you know, I mean, you want a specific answer. You're pulling card after card. Because, but where? I mean, is it, is it a trip to South America or like, which ocean is this? Which you'll be doing soon. I wonder if that oh, will provide yeah. you answers. I think it will. Yeah, it always does. There's something about, you know, this Six of Swords really is it sort of has a... And the eight of wands too, you know, they both have this, you know, you're moving, they're different kind of moving energies, but I always feel, maybe you feel this too, but I think a lot of people do when you're in an airport, you know, and you sit down next to somebody, I always think like, I'm going to tell them that I'm somebody different than who I really am. You know, like (laughs) you could be anybody here. Yes. I love, you know, and that's that playful energy. So I said earlier, like when I was talking about the six six of swords, I had pulled three cards to guide the episode. Like they hadn't come up yet, but I feel like that's almost page of swords energy. Like there's a playfulness about that, but a curiosity about, okay, I could make that. Like this person has no idea. And you're not harming anyone. Like you're just making up a story. Like, yeah, I am so-and-so and and I do this and I'm going here. And, you know, 
I wonder why sometimes that's almost easier for us to do in a playful sense. We're not committing to it versus what stops us from getting to this point in our life when we say, well, that's who I want to be. Well, right. okay, what do I need to do to, to get that? Or, and yeah, and moving through the world as if it's, as if it's real. Like I, mm-hmm. I sometimes play a game with myself where, you know, where I'll order coffee at, at Starbucks in, as someone else. Like I'm not saying yeah. I'm anybody else, but I'll go in and I'm like, I'm a famous movie star, let's say. <laughs> so I'm going to order my one pump sugar-free cinnamon dulce soy latte differently than if I go in, you know, as an exhausted business owner, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> my brother-in-law does that or, or used to do it where he oh, would just like funny. go in and use a different name. Uh-huh, right. You know, <laughs> and I feel like yeah. just even this you know, I almost want to say like act of defiance, but like, it's like an act of defiance against like what, like we feel like we're supposed to be doing, but it's not harming anyone. And I feel no. like that's that page energy of, of playfulness. And it's really about, it's a thought exercise, right? Like, what do yeah. I want to do? Who do I want to be? Like, how can I switch things up in my, my life so that I have a little bit of creative inspiration so right. that I can maybe know exactly like, or at least have a path of what I want to do moving forward. So I can not feel like I'm just kind of like, well, now I just sit here because I've checked off all these boxes or I've done all this self-inquiry and I know who I am. And, you know, I've reached this 10 of cups moment. Now it's time to play. Right. It is a thought exercise, you know, and, and, and in a way that is what the tarot can be. Mm, Yes, absolutely. It can be like, okay, well let's play with the images here. What does this mean for me? What does it stimulate? What is it, you know, what do we, what do we project onto it that we could then introject back, you know, into our, our way of being in the world. Yes. I I love a a good thought exercise. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's like, you know, coming at tarot through a secular lens, I've, you know, I always try to tell folks, like, that's how I explain it to my clients. I mm-hmm. say, you know, this is a thought exercise. Think about right. when you walk into a museum and you see yep. art on the walls, you're having an experience, you're having thoughts, you're having stuff come to you. It's the same with tarot. Yeah, <laughs> it is the same. So one of the other cards, the, the final card I pulled to guide the episode is actually the magician. And yeah. I know, I'm so excited. I'm glad I pulled this card. And I honestly feel like it's a great way to almost begin wrapping up the discussion because, you know, the magician is this, this beautiful archetype of this inner empowerment and this like learning and mastering of the skills based on the tools that you have in front of you. And I feel like when I think of the tools in front of the magician, I very much apply them to, you know, things that were maybe gifted to you or that you learned or forged with mentors or friends or, or people who kind of got you to where you are. Yeah. And, you know, the sense of magic that exists in this card, I feel like we often don't pay attention to, okay, well, what actually is magic? What does it mean to embody the energy of the magician? Right. And I think, you know, you would probably say something like it, magic is literally writing a story. It's creating a character. Right. It's being at the airport and coming up with a whole different persona. It's, right. you know, baking a cake or, you know, making, you know, a piece of piece of art. But right. yeah, I feel like... Love that. Yeah, I feel like this yeah. is a beautiful archetype to just kind of wrap up with and really talk about how, you know, 
our kind of life experience gets us to the point where, you know, we do get to be the magician and we realize, oh, we've been the magician all along, but then I feel like we fully embody it, you know, once we maybe hit that midlife point. Yeah, I, I I love that. You know, it just I keep thinking um, as you're talking of the I can't remember whose quote it is, but that everything is created twice: mm. first in the imagination and then in the world. Right. That there's nothing that hasn't been imagined before it, it came to be, and that when you hit a point in your life where you don't know what there is to create next, the only thing to do really is to sit still and wait until the imagination gives you its next set of directions. Absolutely. I feel like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to like sit with that sentiment for a minute. <laughs> and I feel like, I, I feel like that truly embodies probably how you function within the realm of, of being a teacher now mm-hmm. and this yeah. project you have where you help guide people to you know, tell their own stories. And I would love for you to spend some time talking about that because I feel yeah. like it really kind of blends in nicely with uh, with our conversation about talking about, you know, our identity and our different parts because what you're doing is allowing people to almost be the magician in their own life yeah. by owning and telling their stories. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, where I went after, thank you, I went after um, doing therapy is to bring all of my selves together. So I had the work as a therapist I had been a teacher before that, and um, I'm a marathon runner. And so, uh, you know, as a marathon runner, the one thing that you really learn is endurance. Mm -hmm. I'm not a good marathon runner, lest anybody's uh, impressed. Um, (laughs) I'm a slow marathon runner, but I'm tenacious. And and so, like, pulling all of those sets of skills together, uh, I wanted to create a way for people who know they have a story to tell to be able to tell it and to, to get it done because the parts, the manager parts stop people from not just from writing books, but from noticing their tran- their own transformation. So, you know, most of my writers who come to me, they are memoir writers. Some are fiction writers, but most are memoir writers. They've been through something hard. It's very much aligned with what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been through something hard um, or interesting and they're trying to make sense of it. You know, they're trying to figure out what is the arc of this journey. I, I think about the, you know, the 10 of cups again, there's this arc, you know, right. and, uh, and so we, we help them dig deep and find what is the arc of your story? Because if you can find that in your own story, then that is your legacy. Like that is what you get to leave for other people. The, the earned wisdom that we can, if we can articulate it, we then place it in the collective consciousness, mm-hmm. you know? So to me, that just feels like the mission that, that I'm on is to contribute to the collective consciousness in a conscious way. Like not just, we all have our stories like rattling around in our head, but like, what is the arc from that was hard to I'm a badass, you know? So that, that's what we do. We have a, a, like a nine month, um, writing program that helps people figure that out. And then we give them tools like, like the, the magician's tools, you know, we always say that there's four pillars and it's interesting. There's four, you know, elements here, four pillars to successful completion. And I never thought till this very moment that they probably align with the suits. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. (laughs) That yeah, is so, so cool. Can you yeah, tell folks cool. where they can find you and sure. 
join your project? Yeah. So uh, my my website is thenarrativeproject.net. There is a .org out there. So this is .net. And by the way, too, we have a really fun quiz on the website, like what is your inner critic? Because, you know, they, the Richard Schwartz and, and Jay Early, they have like the seven different kinds of critics, right. the, the molder, the perfectionist. So we have a little quiz on the website where people can you know, find out like which ones are really up for you. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So that's fun. So it's just the narrativeproject.net. And um, we're happy to mastermind any story with somebody who thinks they have one. People are lucky to have you. And you. I, I love what you're doing. And I, I love the, the lives that you've lived so far. And I feel grateful to know you now. And thank I'm you. excited to see what Me lives you'll, you'll live even like post to this one. Oh, thank you. It's been so fun to talk because I've been listening to you, you know, for months and months. And um, it's just great to have a chance to have a conversation with you, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at The Tarot Diagnosis and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com. 